Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought, th thought for what is noble in sight of all. If it is possible so far, as depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay you, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Charlie. Let us pray. Gracious God, open our hearts and minds to the word just read and the words to come, that you might be made known to us in a new way. In Christ's name, amen. So do you have any enemies? Anyone that you hate? My grandma Sophie never had an enemy. She believed that everybody liked her. It couldn't possibly be true, but it's what she believed, and it's how she acted. Panfilo de Naraves, on the other hand, was a ruthless Spanish explorer and conquistador. When he lay dying, a priest asked him if he had forgiven all of his enemies. Panfilo responded, Father, I have no enemies. I have shot them all. <laughs> well, enemies and hate are not the ideas that have popped out at me when I have encountered this passage from Romans in the past. I have been always enchanted with that theme of love that is woven through the verses. The Apostle Paul echoes Jesus in calling attention to love as the key ingredient for God's people. Jesus said that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So from this scripture gem, we can make out a nifty little index card of all the good behaviors that we can strive for as we drive across Bee Ridge Road or as we meet our neighbors in school or out in the community. Things like, let love be genuine, check. Hold fast to what is good, check. Rejoice in hope, check. Persevere in prayer, check. Gloss over a few words about caring for my enemy and then stick the landing on do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Check, check. So I would bask in the glow of these love actions that I can sort of do, check off the box and then try not to hurt my arm too much as I'm patting myself on the back. But this time, this time as I was reading this passage in the wake of Charlottesville, Barcelona, and even the political climate in which we find ourselves, I was stopped in my tracks by a four-letter word. Not hate. No. Not love. But hate. Not love. 
but hate. So that phrase in verse 9, hate what is evil, kind of scares me. Hate is a powerful emotion that can consume you. Do you remember the Grinch who stole Christmas? So whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood outside of his cave, hating the Who's. Alphabetically. Art Barkian, Abacanesia Who? I hate you! R&B Benson Who? I hate you. Hate, hate, hate. Hate, hate, hate. Double hate. Loathe entirely. The Grinch's daily thoughts and actions were fueled by his hate. Hate makes people do all sorts of crazy things, like trying to steal other people's joy. Hate throws gasoline on a fire that is blazing. Hate can be an inescapable prison. In his podcast called Napkin Scribbles, Leonard Sweet tells the story of a woman who complained to her psychiatrist that she was constantly itching. It was especially bothersome when she was in church. Why do I itch all the time, she complained. Well, after a while, the psychiatrist became aware of some deep-rooted hatred that the woman had for her sister. She was obsessed with the notion that her sister had cheated her in some way when their father's estate was divided up. The ultimate diagnosis the psychiatrist gave her was this, eczema of the soul. She itches not in the body, but in the soul. And it's that old hate that is causing the problem. That's why she itches the most in church. When she is cured of that hate, she will be well, because only then will she have peace of soul. Have you ever let hate take up residence in your heart? I have a friend who I grew up with who did. After a decade of marriage, my friend, who I will call April, discovered that her husband was having an affair. She said that nothing could have prepared her for the tidal wave of emotions that accompanies such betrayal. As hard as those feelings were, April said that the one that scared her the most was when she experienced that cold, dark feeling of hate. Her husband wouldn't give up his girlfriend, and April said she couldn't take the pain any longer, so they had to let their two kids know that they were separating. She said she would never forget the response of her sweet, sensitive son, who was about nine years old at the time. His big brown eyes puddled with tears as he cried out in pain, no, no, you can't do this to me. He begged his parents, no, please, please don't do this. April said she had never hated anyone like she hated her husband on that day. Well, we're hardwired to protect our children, so I can imagine that we could easily hate anyone who does them harm. But what about the less personal hate that we sometimes hold close? Like when we see senseless violence on the news, and we're so enraged by the perpetrators that we let our hate spill out onto all people with the same nationality as the perpetrator. 
Maybe not in an overt way, but in ways that color our language or our attitudes or our approach to people. It's easy to hate Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, or Adam Lanza, who shot 20 children in the Sandy Hook Elementary School, or Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold, who murdered 12 students and one teacher in Columbine High School. But do you, do you harbor some hate in your heart at being left alone, or from being betrayed, or from being in a bad situation that you just don't deserve? If so, I'm so sorry, because I know that that feeling is real, and I know that it hurts so, so much. Yet I also know that hate can consume and imprison us, even if we're hating someone who has done us wrong, or even if that someone or that something is flat out evil. And that's why that phrase, hate what is evil, really scared me. But then, as I looked more closely at the passage for today, I saw a tiny little mark that changed everything. I discovered the gospel through punctuation. When we were at the youth conference in Montreat this summer, I saw a funny bumper sticker on a car that said, I am silently correcting your grammar. While that made me laugh out loud, I think that for most of us, we kind of hated grammar in school and we still try to get by without really thinking about it too much. And if that's the case for you, then you would love Biblical Greek, because there is no punctuation. Sentence punctuation was invented several hundred years after the time of Christ. So the oldest copies of both the Greek New Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament are written with no spaces between the words or paragraphs, just a continuous string of capital letters. While this clearly could create some challenges for Bible translation, those challenges aren't as big as you might think. So as a simple test, try reading the sermon title up on the screen. Can you make it out? You can probably tell fairly easily where the spaces should be and what kind of punctuation belongs at the end, right? You can tell this because you're a native speaker of the language in which the phrase is written. Well, native speakers of ancient Greek could read their writing too, but the translators had to add the appropriate punctuation like all of our current writing has so that we could better understand what was being communicated. So if we turn back to the beginning of the passage in the NRSV, we see this phrase, hate what is evil. We see that it is followed by a comma indicating that this thought isn't over, that something important is linked to this phrase. And that important connected phrase is this, hold fast to what is good. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. I looked up 12 English translations on the phrase and they all used either a comma or a semicolon, not a period, after the line, hate what is evil. Hate is not the last word. Nope, it's gorilla glued to that which is good. Koalo is a Greek word for cling, 
or hold fast. And it means to, to glue together, and it's where we get our English word collagen, that fibrous protein that's found in bones, skin, and tendons. So what Paul is calling us to do then is to glue ourselves to that which is good, as inseparably as tendons bind bone to muscle. When we injure a tendon, dis disconnecting bone from muscle, the injury is physically crippling. Likewise, any rupture of our bond to that which is good is spiritually crippling and even worse. There's a story of a farmer whose daughter was manipulated and seduced by a traveling salesman. Incensed by the violation of his sister, the girl's brother was ready to exterminate the salesman with his shotgun. Stepping in, the father admonished his son with these words, Son, you are so full of what's right that you've lost sight of what's good. But it's hard, isn't it? Hate can fill us with a bit of self-righteousness. It can blind us to humanity, other people, and even our own. In a book called Without Buddha, I Could Never Be a Christian, Paul F. Nitter uses insights from his study of Buddhism to reframe Christian faith. He writes about how the Buddhist greeting, Namaste, is that right, Mingy? Namaste is a way of acknowledging that everyone we meet has all the same goodness that's in us. And when we acknowledge that, it enables us to relate to others with genuine compassion. The way of looking at things also has implications for our attitudes toward evil. If we recognize that others have all the goodness we have, we also have to recognize that we have the same capacity for evil as those whose actions we abhor. When we oppose those who do evil in our world with anger and hatred, we are more likely to perpetuate the evil that they do. So how do we respond to evil? Abraham Lincoln would say, the best way to destroy your enemy is to make him your friend. The fourth century monk and theologian Pelagius would say, the enemy has overcome you when he makes you like himself. And Martin Luther King Jr. would say, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. And while these were great men with wonderful and even helpful philosophies, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus demonstrated how we are to respond to evil. Take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow him. There's no doubt about it. We would rather create a space in our heart to harbor hate, or even try to overcome evil with evil. But that's not how God's economy operates. Embracing those who do evil with mercy and kindness and forgiveness is the only way to overcome evil with good. The White Queen told Alice in Wonderland that she practiced believing six impossible things every morning before breakfast. This can be a dangerous practice. If we stretch ourselves to go beyond the limits of our rational mind, we risk entering the realm of madness. But that madness can be divine. 
Divine madness is what Plato calls the inspiration of artists. And it's also a good name for the unconditional love and nonviolence and bold justice of Jesus Christ. It takes divine madness to challenge the powerful on their throne and to stand with the poor and the oppressed. It takes divine madness to love enemies and to do good to them rather than hate and attack them. It took divine madness for Jesus to die, the just for the unjust, for our salvation. And it takes nothing less than divine madness for us to follow his example and love not just the oppressed, but the oppressor. Jesus himself was betrayed, denied, and murdered out of fear and hatred. Yet as he hung from the cross, his dying words were those of love, not hate. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Friends, when hate has seeped into our heart and we seem to have lost sight of the good that is right beside us, Jesus invites us to meet him at the table. Come to the table where we can lay down our hatred and all of our burdens and drink in all that is good because hate doesn't have a home here. Not only that hate does not have a home here, love has a home here. This is the table of love, God's love, that Jesus Christ has invited all of us to be the honored guest. And we have come, as the scripture said, from all parts of the world, from the east and the west and north and south, but here in this place of God's love, we are one big family. So in the night of his arrest, our Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and remember me. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So every time we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the death of our risen Lord until he comes again and he will come again. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we thank you for inviting us to this holy table. We thank you for the mystery of this sacrament in which we experience your saving love poured out for us as a gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. We thank you that we can come in all our human frailty and hate, and yet we are expected and welcomed here by you. We thank you that in bread and the cup, we discover our unity in Jesus Christ and discover that we are welcomed home by you. We lift before you our concerns for all those who are suffering from the devastation of Harvey's wind and rain. 
We pray for the families of those who have died, for all who have suffered loss of home and livelihood. We remember and pray for those affected by similar storms in Nepal, Bangladesh, India, and elsewhere in the world. Care for all of your children in everywhere and every place, gracious God, even including here, we pray. We remember all those who work and those who work for you or the government or any place. We thank you for them and we pray that this would be a restful weekend for all of them. Help us now and bless this sacrament and bless us through this so that we may become your agents and instruments of love and grace to all we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And if you are new to us, um, we'd like to enter, come to the table through the center aisle. So come through the center and return back that way. And I would like to invite the servers to come forward, please. And right in the middle is gluten-free bread that Emma will serve, or you can come to Pastor Mingy or to myself for gluten bread. <laughs> come to the table. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was 